Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the first book of Samuel, chapters 21 through 26, and now Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Pope Benedict taught us this, or reinforced this again in his document called Sacramentum Caritanus. He said that the tabernacle should be in the most worthy place with the greatest of honor. The correct positioning of the tabernacle constitutes the recognition of Christ's real presence in the blessed sacrament. Therefore, the place where the Eucharist species are reserved, marked by a sanctuary lamp, should be really visible to everyone entering the church. It should be the Holy of Holies. It should be the highest place in the church. It should be somewhere where everyone sees it. And there should always be a light burning to signify it's there. It's the tabernacle and it houses the Panis Angelicus, the bread of angels, the body of Jesus Christ. Many shapes of tabernacles all over the world. I love to study them at churches I visit. They, these ones look like the Ark of the Covenant. These teach us something. Every tabernacle teaches us something about the great mystery of the Eucharist. And they have a light burning, a candle glowing Jesus in this one is the mercy seat on top of the ark of the new covenant in this Catholic tabernacle. I love that one. So you see all the Jewish things that used to be in the tabernacle. We now see them in our churches in a little bit different way. The, the holy water font is like the bronze lever with the water in it. The candle is like the menorah. The incense is like the altar of incense, the altar and the tabernacle where the holy of holies belongs, Jesus Christ. He is the bread of the face. Now, in the olden days for the Jews, the bread was changed every Sabbath by the priests only. The priests would have to consume the bread. They had to eat every crumb of it. They couldn't waste any, couldn't let any of it go because it's holy bread. It's sacred bread. It must be consumed. What does the priest do after communion? Every crumb of the golden vessel that's holding Jesus, every crumb is consumed. The high priest would get five loaves every week for he and his family, and the rest of the priest would share seven loaves, the other seven loaves. Only a priest could eat the sacred bread. Only a priest could eat the sacred bread. And during each of the three annual required pilgrimage festivals, Passover, Sukkot, and Shavuot, when all the pilgrims had to come to the temple in the days of the temple, the priests would carry out on those three high holidays, they would carry out the golden menorah, the golden table with the holy bread of the presence on the table. The priests would hold them up and show them to the pilgrims and they would say, behold God's love for you. Behold God's love for you. Behold God's love for you. See your affection before the omnipresent. Behold God's love for you. One day a year, the people would get to see the bread and the menorah. Now Jesus in John 8 says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the eternal high priest. And I'm the bread, the bread of the presence, the sacred bread. So David today is asking the high priest of Israel for the holy bread that's only for priests. The priest says, there's no common bread here. I just have the holy bread. Are the men kept from women? Are they holy? Are they sacred? Are they consecrated? And David answered the priest, of the truth of women, 
Women have been kept from us. We've been with no women. As always, when I, David, go on an expedition, the vessels of the young men are holy. They refrain from women. They're away from their wives. They refrain from anything unholy, even when it's a common journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave David the holy bread. There was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken. The priest gave David the bread of the presence, the holy bread of the high priest, because he gave him five loaves. That was the portion of the high priest of Israel. Now then, what have you at hand? Give me five loaves. Why five? Well, five, he had five smooth stones when he fought the giant. Remember, those five books signify Torah, God's word, God's law. David was always listening and obeying the word of the Lord. But also, five was the number of the high priest's portion of bread. The high priest always should follow Torah. Always. He should be so holy. Five. Is God showing David that he is also a priest? But he's not from the tribe of Levite. He's a Judahite. How can this be? In the genealogy of Matthew, right off the bat, Matthew says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He puts those three things first when there's so many things in between. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, Abraham had holy bread from a priest way back in Genesis 14. He wasn't a Levitical priest. It was Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which turned into Jerusalem many years later. He brought out what? Bread and wine. And he was priest of God most high. And he, Melchizedek, blessed Abraham. And the greater always blesses the lesser. He blessed Abraham. He was priest of God most high, who has delivered you from your enemies. Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he has. Now, Melchizedek is also going to be mentioned by David in Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn, David, and he will not repent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hmm. Jesus Christ, whose priesthood included offering bread and wine, Luke 22, the new covenant, it will also be, he's not a, a Levite. He is a Judahite. He, as Hebrews 7 tells us, is also in the priesthood of Melchizedek. He precedes the Levite. And we're told in the anamnesis of the first Eucharistic prayer, the sacrifice of Abraham, our father, in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim, Melchizedek. So just as Abraham received the holy bread from Melchizedek, David today will receive the holy bread from the high priest Ahimelech. Now Ahimelech is the 12th high priest of Israel. He's officiating at Nob. This is where David is visiting, and this is where the holy bread is kept on the golden table. David will receive the sacred bread from the high priest. Five loaves were for the high priest portion. Just like Torah, five always hear and obey the word of God. And that leaves seven loaves left over. 12 minus five is seven. Seven is for the rest of the priesthood. Only the priesthood though, no, no other people. Seven, God is swearing a covenant. To seven oneself is to swear, to swear a covenant. Now, in the New Testament, we see the son of David, as Matthew calls him first in the titles, son of David, Jesus Christ. And he multiplies something. What is it? Common bread. It's the little boy brought five barley loaves. How many? Five. How many does the high priest get? 
Five. Hmm, interesting. Five loaves are the high priestly portion to share with his own family. Jesus multiplies the common bread and they ate their fill. They gathered up all the fragments. They gathered them all up and filled how many baskets? Twelve. The fragments from the five barley loaves, the common bread, had multiplied to feed 5,000 people plus their wives plus all the children and still have 12 baskets left over. And the people shouted, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, the one Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. The people knew this wasn't common bread anymore. And not just the priests got to eat, not just the apostles, but all the people got to eat this bread. And there were still 12 baskets left over. Do you see? This isn't common bread anymore. And it's not just for priests. It's for all the people of God, all the sons and daughters of Abraham. Everybody eats this bread, not just the priests. So some scholars say five and two. There were also two fish. The two fish are the Jews and the Gentiles. This fish is for all people. David's given five loaves, the high priestly portion, and Jesus, the new son of David, recalls this event himself in the New Testament in Mark chapter 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, Jesus' disciples began to pluck the ears of grain. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, oh, look, 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 look what they're doing, look what they're doing, this is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, have you not read what David did? Have you not read what David did? When he was in need and he was hungry and he and those with him, how they entered the house of God and how David entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but priests to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus was saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. They're being legalistic. David was their hero. Don't you remember what David did? He ate the priestly bread. The Sabbath was made for man. But also, David is made a priest like Jesus was made a priest, not of a Levitical priest, but a priest in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is a Psalm David wrote, 110, and it was his assurance of victory for God's priest king. David is not going to be just a king, but he's also going to be a priest. Now, 1 Samuel 21, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day. His name is Doeg the Edomite. He's a chief of Saul's herdsmen, an Edomite. You know, that's Esau's line. So you know what that means. Perk up. David said to Ahimelech, have you a spear or a sword at hand? David has no weapons. He had no food. He has no weapons. For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. Now, Doeg is overhearing this conversation. The priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, I have it here. It's wrapped in an ephod. You take that. There's none like it. There's none like it. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So think of his memory now, his anamnesis, remembering that sword. When he was younger and he took that sword, it was Goliath's own sword. He killed Goliath with one stone, but he took Goliath's sword out and cut off the head of the giant with that very sword because the battle belonged to the Lord. And David must have recalled with that sword in his hand, he must have recalled that past event and known how powerful the Lord was with him. And that must have given him great reassurance what he's facing now being chased by Saul. He must have thought back of that memory, how the Lord took charge, how the, he followed 
the word of the Lord and the Lord fought his battles for him. David always trusted God's word and he obeyed it. He heard it and obeyed it. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So not just the word of God, but now David has also eaten holy bread. What do you do at mass? First, you hear the word of God then you eat the holy bread. David has received the holy bread from the high priest. David's a son of Abraham. Just as Abraham received that holy bread from Melchizedek, so too David, a son of Abraham, is now receiving, he's received that holy bread from the high priest. And he writes this psalm. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. David knows who will fight this battle. He's writing this prayer to the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will ever be in my mouth. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. It's not my strength that I killed that giant. It's the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. 400 men who are with me, let us together exalt his name. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Look to him and be radiant that your faces may not be ashamed. The poor man cried. The Lord heard him. He saved him out of his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. He delivers them. He recalls the Exodus, how the Lord, the angel of the Lord actually camped with them. And he has just eaten the holy bread and he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He might be sharing the bread with the men. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This bread will fortify him like no other common bread. This is sacred bread. This is the bread of the face. This is the bread of the presence. Happy the man who takes refuge in him. David has eaten the holy bread. David will take refuge in the word of God. David will take refuge in God's presence in the holy bread, the presence of the face bread. And David will share the priestly bread, the five loaves with his family, his men who are with him. And they will know, behold God's love for you. God has fed them from his own hand. Now David rose and fled that day from Saul. And he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now you remember the red arrow is the town of Gath. It's a large Philistine city. And guess who's from Gath? Do you remember? Goliath. Goliath of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to David, is this not David, the king of the land? And did they not sing to one another and say of him in dances that Saul has slain his 10,000, but David his 10,000s. And David took those words to heart and he got scared. They knew who he was. They knew he had killed their own giant, Goliath. And he gets afraid. So he changes his behavior before them and he feigns himself as a mad man in their hands. And the Oscar goes to the leading male performance in a historical docudrama goes to David. He was a phenomenal madman. He, had, he marked up all the gates and he let spittle run down his beard and he acted crazy. And the king said, whoa, this man is mad. Why did you bring him to me? Do I lack men, men in my city? No, get rid of him. Get him out. Get, I have plenty of guys like this. This fellow, don't let him come into my house. So David is spared again. David departs from there and he escapes to a cave at Adullam. Now there's Adullam. Look at the red arrows. Very, pretty close to Bethlehem where David is from. And David's brothers and his father's house get word that he's close. And they went down there to him. I'm sure they brought food and provisions. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in doubt and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. Isn't that the crowd you want with you? All those in distress, all those in debt, all those discontented, they all came to David. And he became their captain. And there were with David 4 
400 men, 400 discontented, distressed, in debt men. It's kind of like the island of misfit toys. They all come to him. His leadership, his virtue. They've been disgruntled. They've been, uh, Saul has not been a good king. He has not been just. He has not been fair. It reminded me of when Jesus said, Come to me, all who are labored and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you protection. I will give you rest for your souls. David's that kind of shepherd. They all come to him. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. Now, the arrow there shows Moab, and Moab, Moabites, are enemies of Israel. So David's going into another foreign territory, and guess what? He has his mom and dad with him. And he asked the king of Moab, Moab, could my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me? So he's protecting his family as well and his extended family. And he left his parents with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now, how in the world? David's parents are from Jesse. They're Jesse from Bethlehem and his wife, and they're going to take refuge in Moab with the Moabites? Are you kidding me? How could this possibly be? How could they find refuge in the hostile Moab nation, this family? Well, you might remember a certain Moabite. We started the study off with her. Her name was Ruth. Remember? They have family there. Ruth was a Moabite, and that's David's great-grandma. And now they can call in a favor. Her name was Ruth. She was the great-grandmother of David, the grandmother of Jesse. And because Ruth's family connection, David's parents will seek refuge in Moab, and they will become refugees in Moab. David's parents, refugees in Moab. What's a refugee? I looked up a definition. A person who has been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. So David's parents are refugees now in Moab. Now, the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David is told by a man of God, and he listens, and David departs. He's obedient. And he goes to the forest of Hereth. And the forest of Hereth is here, a little south of Jerusalem. And the forest of Hereth, he'll go. The prophet told him he'll obey. Now Saul heard that David was discovered and the men who were with him, the 400 misfits. And Saul was sitting with Gehiba, uh, at Gehiba under a tamarisk tree at the height with his spear in his hand and all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Now remember all we learned about the Benjamite tribe? Will this son of Jesse, a Judahite, is what he's saying, give every one of you fields and vineyards? Is he going to make you all commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, uh, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a league with the son of Jesse. None of you were sorry for me or disclosed to me that my son Jonathan had stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as this day. And the high priest Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law? Who is the captain of the king's bodyguard? Who is honored in the king's house? Is today the first time that I have inquired to God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of this, much or little. And King Saul said, to the high priest of Israel, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's house. The king said to the guard who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand was in this also with David. They knew that he fled and they did not disclose it to me, but the servants of King Saul would not put forth their hand to kill the priests of the Lord. His own servants knew better, but someone else stepped forward and it was Doag the Edomite. 
that we learned about before that had overheard the conversation. He's an informant. He's a spy. For Saul, you turn and fall upon the priest. And Doag the Edomite turned and fell upon the priest. And Doag killed on that day 85 priests who wore their linen ephods. The knob and the city of the priest, Doag put to the sword, men, women, children, sucklings, that's babies at the breast, oxen, asses, sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech escaped. His name was Abathar. He escaped and he fled to tell David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Doag, the Edomite, was there, that he surely would tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, fear not, for he that seeks my life seeks your life as well, and you will be in safekeeping with me. Now, this sounds horrible, but it will fulfill a prophecy about Eli's household. Remember Eli? These priests are of his family line, and it was foretold that Eli's house would fall. That prophecy has been fulfilled. 85 innocent priests of the Lord and family slaughtered by Doeg the Edomite at the command of King Saul of Israel. The king of Israel killing the priests of Israel is an abomination to the Lord. And David is, is hiding and he writes Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, the ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. He delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers all out of them, all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. One line from this Psalm 34 will be prophetic, a messianic message about Jesus. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken on the cross when they pass by him and do not break his bones. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting at Kehillah now, and they're robbing the threshing room floor. So David prays. He turns to the Lord. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines, Lord? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kehillah. But David's men said to him, behold, we're afraid. We're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Kehillah against the armies of the Philistines? So David went back to the Lord to make sure he had heard the Lord right. He goes and prays again. He inquires of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him again, Arise and go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And so David and his men go, and they fought the Philistines, and they brought away their cattle. They made a great slaughter. David delivered the inhabitants of the town. And Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, the only priest left, fled to David. He came down with an ephod in his hand as part of the priestly garment. Saul said, God, and, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand. He has shut himself up by entering a town with gates and bars. Saul thinks, I've got him now. He's contained in this city. He has a city wall. He has gates and bars. I've got him. I've got him trapped. Saul summoned the people to war, to go down to Kahila to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. And he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Now, all the priests but one is dead. David has eaten the holy bread. That's the food of the high priest, five loaves. And now David is asking for an ephod, the dress of a priest. It's a linen garment woven in one piece. Jesus had one on the night of the last, uh, when he washed the feet of the disciples, the night of the last supper. David is really acting like a priest here. 
Exodus 28 tells us all about the ephod. It's part of the vestments of the priesthood. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, the servant, thy servant, has surely heard that Saul has come to Kehilah to destroy the city on my account? Will the men of Kehilah surrender me into Saul's hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said to David, he will come down. And he said, they will surrender you into his hand. That was David's clue that he had to leave again. And David and his men were about 600 now. They arose and they departed from there and they went wherever they could go. So you see the red arrow is where they were. And now Saul is told that David has escaped and he gives up the expedition. And David remained in the stronghold in the wilderness in the country, the country of the wilderness of Zip. You see the red arrow. Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. And David was afraid because Saul came out to seek his life. Saul, the king, has come. He has joined the expedition to seek the life of David. Now, guess who else came? Jonathan his best friend, his best friend forever friend, his covenant friend, Saul's son. He rose and he went to David at Horish and he was strengthened in God's hand. You know, when a friend of this magnitude comes in your time of deepest trouble and they have this covenant friendship, it strengthened David. It emboldened him. They were best friends forever, covenant friends. And Jonathan said to David, fear not. The hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I will be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this and the two of them again made a covenant before the Lord. And then David remains there and Jonathan goes home. They had the deepest covenant friendship. Jonathan has surrendered the kingship. It should be the firstborn son, Jonathan, but he knows David has the anointing of the Lord. This is the greatest degree of friendship and Jonathan has just strengthened David in the hand of God. I imagine they prayed together. They both worshiped the same Lord. And then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gehiba and said, Does not David hide among us in the stronghold at Horish on the hill south? Now come, O king, according to your heart's desire, come. And our part shall be to surrender him. We're going to surrender David into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord. You have had compassion on me. Go yet make sure now that you know the place where he's at, who has seen him there. He's very, very cunning. And he lurks in places where he hides. And then come back to me with the information. Now, Saul has called David cunning, clever, and lurking. And if you remember an Edomite king, Herod, of the Jews at the time of Christ, he told the three kings, you go find him and then come back and tell me so that I might go and pay him homage. It just had that same spiritual sense for me. For it was told that David is very cunning. And therefore, take note of all the lurking places that he hides and then come back to me with the information and then I'll go. And if he is in the land, I'll search him out with all the thousands in Judah. So David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, and this is what it looks like. This is where they were. How do they get food? How do they get water? How do they get supplies? Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told, therefore, he went down to the rock, which is in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard of that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. This is what it looks like. Saul was on one side of the mountain, David was on the other side of the mountain, and David was making haste to get away from Saul, and Saul and his men were closing in on David. That was part two of the first book of Samuel, chapters 21 through 26, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.